Hello, friends. Welcome to the Deeper Daily Podcast for the 31st day of October. I'm your host, Paul White. Thanks for joining me. Today is the final day of the month, and thus today is the essay edition of the podcast. If you like to read the essay, they are all at our website, paulwhiteministries.com. The essay is a little moment where I stop and write a couple thousand words about where we are in our current journey Sometimes through life, sometimes through my dealings in society, but for the year of 2023, it's been where we are in the study of the Gospels. It's been the Gospel of Mark and now the Gospel of Luke. And so for the foreseeable future, these essays will focus on where we are at that moment. So with no further delay, let's jump in. Here is the essay edition for October 2023. The Gospel of Luke will be our home on the daily podcast for the near future, and just as our essays focused on wherever we were in the Gospel of Mark, our monthly reflection will do the same with the biographical look at Jesus given to us by Luke the physician. This month, the text brings us to the circumcision of the baby Jesus and introduces us to two characters that appear in no other Gospel account, the prophet Simeon and the prophetess Anna. Luke tells us that Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel, an interesting phrase that speaks of Israel's long-awaited Messiah. Simeon was righteous and devout, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Christ. Imagine how he must have stood daily in the temple, watching the young couples bring their baby boys in for circumcision, knowing that at some point he was going to hear the familiar voice of the Spirit, confirming that this or that baby was the one for whom generations had been waiting. To know that your life will be extended until a certain event must be an amazing feeling. Simeon must have had both the confidence that he would be okay and the excitement at knowing that the Messiah would be revealed to him. This was the culmination of both a well-lived life and a generations-long anticipation. Simeon held the baby Jesus in his arms and offered a prayer to the Lord, reminiscent of the prayers of the Psalms. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Simeon shares a name with the Old Testament character, who's also a head of one of the 12 tribes of Israel. At his birth, Simeon, whose name means hearing or to be heard, was named by his mother Leah because the Lord had heard her cry. The New Testament version of Simeon knows that he has both heard from the Lord and been heard by the Lord, and he gives his song as praise. Now, near his death, his eyes get to see what his ears have heard. The Messiah is on the stage. A life of practicing hearing the voice of the Lord has paid off. A lesson to us all. Simeon prophesies precisely what we see unfold in the life and ministry of Jesus. He is a light for revelation to the Gentiles. We see it with the Syrophoenician woman who believes for the healing of her daughter and is given everything that she asks for. We see it when the centurion declares that if Jesus will but speak the word, his servant will be healed. 
an act of faith that Jesus claims was unparalleled in all of Israel. We see it at the cross when another centurion says, surely this man was the son of God. None of these were of the house of Israel, thus none were looking for a Messiah. But the revelation of who Jesus was impacted each of them. Joseph and Mary marveled at what they heard from Simeon. This is an interesting point considering Joseph was visited in a dream by an angel and Mary was visited by a literal angel. They had both already seen enough to have reason to never be shocked by anything again, yet seeing this old man declare their baby boy to be the very consolation of Israel was hard to take in. I can imagine. Any positive words spoken over your child by an elder is a special moment. For Joseph and Mary, the moment would mark their lives, for this was the first time that someone else had spoken so highly of their boy. Think about it. They heard from angels, and then the shepherds in the field came to worship and confirm what they had heard. The famous visit by the Magi has probably not happened yet. Remember, it's only the eighth day of Jesus' life, so they've had no true confirmation of what they've been believing for nine months. Simeon is the confirmation they needed just as Jesus was the confirmation that Simeon needed. After Simeon's song of praise, he turns to Mary and speaks a word over her. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. The fall and rising is open to interpretation. I mean, what isn't, really? If it applies to one group, then it could mean that they must be humbled in repentance before they can rise into salvation, like an old way of saying that you must fall down before you can get up. If it describes two groups, both a falling group and a rising group, then it means that those who reject the child will ultimately fall, but those who accept him will rise to be with the Lord. Well, as always, there's another option, and let's take a sidestep on our way there. In Luke 11, Jesus tells a quick little proverb about an unclean spirit that goes out of a person and how it travels through waterless places before deciding to return to the house it was kicked out of. It goes back and finds the house swept with everything put in its place. So the spirit goes out for reinforcements and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. Famously, Jesus declares, the last state of that person is worse than the first. Then, a woman interjects, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts that you sucked. This declaration seems completely out of place, about as out of place as it is in this essay. And I do that on purpose, so you will feel how awkward it must have been in the moment. Jesus has just given a little speech on prayer and how his power is different and greater than Beelzebub, and then the little story of the demon returning to the house made this woman gush with motherly pride, though Jesus is not even her son. She rejoices as a sort of surrogate mother, excited at how blessed Mary must be to have such a bright young man for a son. The excitement of this woman is a master class in missing the point. And she's representative of most of humanity from the time of Christ onward. Jesus has his face set to Jerusalem, where he will suffer and die. And his stories highlight his power 
and his purpose. But this woman can't see that Jesus came to die, that his power is found in stepping into death. She can only celebrate that he's here, and she figures that Mary's the same way. Simeon's prophecy over Mary is that a sword will pierce through her soul, a dark statement that she carries with her through the entire short life of her son. And she has maternal pride, but she knows that her boy came to do more than give great speeches and to take authority over the darkness. He came to give his life. And the knowledge of that loss is a perpetual sword to the heart of Mary. Look carefully at what Simeon actually said to her. Jesus was put here for the fall and the rising of many in Israel. Fall is from the Greek word tosin, which is from a word meaning corpse, while rising is from the Greek word anastasin, meaning resurrection. Thus, Simeon tells Mary that Jesus is here for the death and the resurrection, and that's a sign that will be spoken against. His entire life will be a journey into death and resurrection, and everything will line up against him finishing his mission. Every crowd that swelled in excitement, wishing to make Jesus a king, was a distraction from the falling and the rising that he was destined for. Every attempt to put a sword into his hand, or to turn him into a traveling circus, or to offer him the kingdoms of the earth was a roadblock to the rising and falling. Jesus came to die, and his death would lead to the death and resurrection of all who would place faith in him, both those in Israel and as a light of revelation to the Gentiles. Simeon identified this from the very beginning and placed it into the heart of Mary. As Robert Capon writes in this moment, Mary is the first fruit of him who is the first fruit of them that slept. For a brief three verses, Luke introduces us to the prophetess Anna. We learn that she's the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. This marks her as an Israelite and places her within a specific family, validating her bloodline. She was married for seven years and then widowed until her current age of 84. Unlike the Simeon story, she's given no lines to speak in Luke's telling, but he includes her anyway, which leads me to wonder why. She's taken up residence in the temple, most likely the court of women, as she would not have been allowed in the main temple court, and she spends her time praying and fasting. When she hears of the arrival of the baby Jesus, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. Luke includes her because he wants to show that women were among the first to evangelize Israel about the Messiah. Now, the shepherds had returned to their fields and told whoever they encountered about the baby they found in the manger, but Anna had seen something different. Here, she sees the arrival of God within his temple in the form of the baby Jesus. She could be considered the first person to take that news outside the temple, a fact which links her with the resurrection where Mary is the first person to share the news that Jesus was alive. Think of this. Both the first evangelist of the arrival of Jesus and the first evangelist of the resurrected Jesus were women. And some people question whether women qualify to preach the gospel. I'd like to focus on one more thing that comes from this brief encounter. Luke closes the segment on Anna by telling us that her message was to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. And after the resurrection, 
Luke tells another story that no other gospel writer includes when he describes two disciples on the road to Emmaus. These two encounter a stranger who knows nothing of the horrific events that had unfolded over the past few days. They explained to him how Jesus had died and how they were disappointed because they thought he was the one who would redeem Israel. Notice their misunderstanding of redemption. They thought his death prevented him from being the redeemer because their idea of redemption had nothing to do with the salvation of souls or deliverance from sin. Namely, their redemption had nothing to do with dying and resurrecting. Their idea was one of militant uprising and the removal of the overlords. Simeon explained that the sword would cause a death and a resurrection, a clear indication that the process of redemption would require the crucifixion, and yet the crowds that heard of the arrival of this baby looked right past that and projected onto Jesus whatever it was they wanted him to be. One could say that no one has ever been a greater disappointment in his lifetime to those who were around him than Jesus of Nazareth. And I do not say this because of his lifestyle or his mannerisms, but because Jesus came to die as Adam and to raise as a new man. Most of the world of his day just wanted someone to kill Caesar. Our lesson from Simeon and Anna, coupled with a dash of that happy mother in the crowd at a Jesus speech, and the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, might be that we often miss what we need because we're looking for what we want. Jesus came to accomplish the will of his Father, and nothing stopped him, though they tried at every turn. And I wonder how much I'm still trying to do the same thing. Where do I bend Jesus to do what I want, rather than allow myself to bend toward what I need? Well, I'm learning every day, and perhaps... We're told that Anna is at least 84 years old as an indication that we might have to wait a while to get what we need, long past, when we stop looking for what we want. Grace to you.